You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We are the Elsers. Welcome to the Elsner's, a production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague, and joining me is Corey Scott, as always. For more info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to elsner's.com. And for more info on this show, or for more on the other shows that we do here at the network, go to gncast.com. And as a warning, we will we tend to swear and spoil things without thinking. So this is your warning on both fronts. The other warning is we do our intro without thinking. Yes, or without it pulled up because I'm like, yeah, let's just go right into the story part. Like, have that, that there. I don't need to do it. I've done it. I've done it 67 times now. I, you know, I should know how to do it, or, you know, about 68 times, however many times that I've done it, including specials where I just read off the script and then did this, then went into the thing. It's kind of the thing. It's it's a crutch. It's a seatbelt. It's it's like having your GPS on to get home, even though you drive the same way home every day, which I do. You just kind of. Is, is that just so you, you can hear, yourself- hear a lady talk? Yeah, you let yourself feel like, okay, well, I've got this to back me up. But you could remember it if you had to. You just yeah. let your brain turn into tapioca and and not giving a crap for so long. That's that's a problem. We did pot yesterday, and we hadn't done it in a couple of months. So I, I kind of forgave the fact that – I know what it sounds like. I kind of forgave the fact <laughs> that we didn't remember how to do our intro. We didn't remember how to do our outro. And I, I stumbled over my parts. Matt stumbled over to his parts. But if you asked me on any other day, like I could be sitting in the office and, and somebody could turn to me and say, hey, do the podcast of Terra Outro, I could probably do it verbatim without any issue. But in the moment of sitting here in front of the screen, it's like blank. Duh, what do I do, George? What do I do? Yeah. It's, it's, it's fine. You know, that that's why we have Growly Bear. Growly Bear will do the outro for us. Yes, exactly. Growly Bear will be. Growly Bear is king. <laughs> Growly Bear was on the pot. Does that count? Yes. <laughs> um, um, so, okay, I will share this. I took last week off. Corey couldn't be on here, and I was like, oh, I might do something. like, you know, I'm going to take a week off. Get caught up on comic books. Didn't get caught up on comic books <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, and I um, was I, doing a, a writing boot camp last week, which was, it was required to either watch it live or you got the replay for a 24-hour period. So it was really the timing was I had to nail down each night uh, to sit in my in my room and watch about two hours of video yeah. talking about writing, which is great because I still haven't got shit to put out. Thanks. Uh, I, I still, suck. I still can write. Yeah. <laughs> I have been able to write since the third grade. Yeah. But I, I love the self-publishing podcast guys, the dudes from Sterling and Stone who did yeah. it. And, and, and it's a great thing to be a part of when they do something like this. They did boot camp last year. And I was a part of it then. And they've done a couple of other things, which unfortunately some of them require travel and uh, money and stuff that I don't have to throw into it. But I've reviewed some of their books on here before. I know I redo, reviewed uh, Dave's book, Jumper, which was part of the Karma Police series uh, back quite a few episodes ago. And uh, I really like their stuff. So there's a lot of value to what they do. And even if I'm not utilizing it, that's on me. It's not on them. But it was worthwhile doing it. Yeah. So I was reading. I'm in the middle of Marvel Legacy right now. The goal is to do for the Galactic Radio Polish review, a review of Marvel Legacy for for this week because I took that off too. So by the way, my picks for last week were Marvel Legacy and uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Hard Place, number two, because that book looks really great. So yeah, those are my picks. 
<laughs> but yeah, so I mean, let's well, just let's get let's shall we get into the news? Sure, let's, let's news it. Let's news some news in the nude. What? So the first story is that ABC is in a little bit of a shit show right now, to put it nicely. They are trying to find their new way in life. They've got, this is the final season for Scandal. This probably should be the final season for Grey's Anatomy. The middle, so this is pray. their final season. Yeah, it, yeah. it is the last season for the middle. And and my wife actually saw the commercial that the middle is about to start its last season. Just like, oh, that's a great show. And I said, yeah, but don't you feel like it's run its course? She goes, yeah, it's probably run its course. Yeah, you know, they've been trying to get, you know, these new things, new stuff going. The other one thing that they've had success with is has been um, the Marvel properties with the fact that they're both owned by Disney. Uh, with the launch of the series premiere on ABC of the Inhumans show and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess from what Beat said, they're not being canceled because Disney's like, no, don't cancel those shows. Well, essentially what it is, is we, we know that we had agents of shield spin out from the marvel movies and it launched yep. and it did very well at first and then it's had diminishing numbers going forward the last few seasons it's it's about to start its fifth season and a lot of people believe that it was going to get a fifth season strictly for the syndication aspect of it now i i've already seen it in syndication i see it replay during the week on a couple different stations here and there but usually syndication hits at about if you hit 100 episodes that's when you would normally get long-term syndication and so the belief has been that they would at least get a short season for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to finish up the series because the numbers haven't been incredible, even though the show, I think, has improved at least last season since clearing up some of the Inhumans crap for me was not my favorite storyline. And it, it got a little bit more evolved when they got to Ghost Rider and then they did the stuff with with well, not the Hydra stuff, but I meant and specifically the the alternate reality thing where they were all trapped in the AI. And I don't remember the character's name now, but I'm just going to call her Alexa. So it pisses off anybody who has an Amazon product and is listening to this. But it, it seems like that's what she should have been. But yeah. they introduced that character. And so they Ava. had two distinct stories. Ava. They had two distinct storylines last season, and they were both, I feel, stronger than what it had been for the two middle seasons of the show, Yeah, which is fine, but not really a huge success. They do have what was the introduction of the Inhumans show after Agent Carter had come and went. Agent Carter, again, had one season and then got canceled after a second season. Yeah. which is too bad because I think Agent Carter was very beloved and again was introduced from the movies, yeah. so had some crossover potential. Inhumans was supposed to be a Marvel film and then eventually Faye just kind of like pushed it away. He's like, I don't really think we're going to do an Inhumans movie. So the TV people got it, uh, Jeff Loeb, and it retained more under Marvel's control under Ike Perlmutter, who is the head of, of Marvel Comics versus the control that Fahey has in Marvel Film Universe. They're like, yeah, well, in humans, we've already got them developing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so we can kind of do a spin-off from that if we need to. So it made sense for it to be on the TV side. But then they got the guy who did Iron Fist, Scott Buck, to do this show. And Iron Fist has already been slammed by reviews, although it's got a lot of watching. Slammed by reviews as being the worst of the Marvel Netflix shows. And that's because Scott Buck comes in and has to do the show in a very limited time and with a somewhat limited budget and just does what he can with it. I, I don't want to crap too much on the guy, but 
I watched the whole season and it was a slog to get through. And the last three episodes took me forever to go back to. And that was only because I wanted to watch Defenders. And then in Humans, they decide that they're going to play in IMAX theaters the first two episodes to treat it like a movie, which would sound great as a like, here's an exciting thing. See this movie and then watch these characters continue on on TV. But the movie looked like shit because it was shot for TV. And it was, again, done in a rush. And Scott Buck didn't really step things up again. He he basically, when he describes it, he said that he just, I could do it fast. I could do it cheap. And so that's what I did. That's why they hired me. It's like, well, that's not really a great pitch for your IMAX premiere film that is also going to be one of your flagship shows for the season. So the reviews for Inhumans as a film were terrible, probably because people felt misled that it wasn't really a film, but they didn't improve when it went to TV. When people started watching it as a show, the reviews have been just as terrible. And it seemed like all along the way, everything has been, oh, this looks bad. Oh, this looks even worse. Oh, this is not getting any better. Like every time they would do, and they were putting out so much press for Inhumans over the last several months to hype it up for the movie. And every time you look at it, it's like, okay, well, they're going to have to clean this up, right? They're going to have to do something better with Medusa's hair, right? Yeah, we'll shave it tanked across the board. And I think that's the problem is that Disney is pushing Marvel on ABC with their properties, but the the properties aren't really the best investments for ABC's channel. So that is essentially what they're saying here is that, yeah, we had to put this on and it's not our fault that it sucks so bad. The people who own us said, do it. It's like, Oh, God, there is a concert hall close to where I live. I'm not going to shit on the people because I haven't actually seen them. But the guy who created the concert hall gets all these really awesome bands there. Like not not like modern day bands, but classic rock bands like you'll see Foreigner there. You'll see Sticks, but still pretty big gets. And they play at this place. But because the guy who made it owns it, his sons who have a band get to be the opening act for all of these big bands every time that they play there. So it's a very powerful nepotism. It's like the Jacksons saying, okay, well, yeah, you want to have Michael, you got to take Tito too. Tito's in the deal, right? He's just wrapped up in it. (laughs) Just a big Jackson burrito. That's what it feels like. It's we own you and we want you to put our our son's artwork up on the fridge just like it was good. Like like your kids, even though your kids is your kids an award winning painter and our kid is in fifth grade. That's kind of what Inhumans is right now at ABC is they're looking at it as we have to do this. Nobody wants to do this. And we know it's going to fuck things up for us. So they buried it on Fridays. I'm going to save my talk on Inhumans for a little bit later because I'm going to talk about that in my in my else view. But I want to talk about the other shows. I think some of the biggest frustrations for me and that they're that they're feeling are with the fact that they they are trying their hardest to rebrand or to get not necessarily TGIF back, but getting the comedies back, you know, because like we said, the middle's leaving um, the middle's going to be done after this season. They've got the show The Mayor, which is premiering this week, which they did the uh, early release on Hulu and I watched and that's really good. That yeah, they like, hyped okay. it as a they hyped it up pretty good and it looks like a pretty good quality half hour show. Here's what I will tell you of it. David Spade is in the at least in the pilot and usually I do not like things David Spade is in. Not since Tommy Boy have I have I really enjoyed a David Spade. I was going to say you don't like Heather Locklear? Zing. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh no. <sighs> Take that, Richie Sambora. No, I get you. It, he plays a smarmy asshole so well, and then he also does it on TV. But I, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, but he was really good in this. And I think it's because he's not playing so much smarmy, but just an asshole. Right. Um, AKA a standard politician. But yeah, it, it was good. The other one uh, that they talk about is The Good Doctor, the new from the creators of House, the new medical drama starring Freddie Highmore. And this one, I'm like, all right, this 
is really good too like with how they did everything but the thing that has me worried because they moved well one they moved shark tank from friday to sunday which is their once upon a time slot because shark tank eats all the shows that are around it that once upon a time is probably in trouble especially since i saw that they retooled and they recast some of the characters to make them older for reasons that will be announced later on in the show i Um, assume because some of the leads of the show had left already like they were one of the main actresses decided not to be on there anymore the only one that i that i've seen that from paying attention is uh henry the little kid Right. He got recast and is now being played by someone who's like 25, 20, you know, 25, 30 years old. Which is weird because that Descendants too seemed to do pretty well for Disney and for ABC. They yeah. played it all over the place. Yeah. And it could be like the last season of Scrubs where it's like, oh, we get a, a show about a bunch of also rans or, or the next generation of these things. We don't really care about that. And the characters we were interested in are gone. Their stories are over. So this is a great jumping off point for me. My concern is... One of the things ABC did that was quite controversial was that they got rid of a show that seemed to be having quite a bit of success on Friday nights with Last Man Standing and Dr. Ken, which I don't know was as successful, but certainly held a good amount of numbers after is with the lead in to put it on humans. Did they get rid of Dr. Ken or is it? Oh, yeah. They both got canceled at the same time. Okay, they said we're doing away with our Friday night comedy block, you know, so these shows no longer fit. And they didn't try to put them anywhere else. So, yeah. And Last Man Standing had a huge following of a, a certain type of people. And Tim Allen being a more conservatively minded actor in Hollywood was already something that people looked at as he's going to get blacklisted because he doesn't fit the liberal leaning norm, which I guess could be true, although it doesn't seem to have hurt his success throughout his entire career. It's a different world now, though. But yeah. those shows get moved to put on Inhumans, which it sounds like was maybe kind of forced on ABC. So ABC bit, had to yeah. sit there and stand by the decision of like, yeah, we're we're getting rid of these shows because we have this new thing that we, we're doing and it just doesn't fit. But it sounds like that new thing was forced on them. And so they lost shows that were more successful because as I understand it, Inhumans numbers did not do as well as what Last Man Standing normally pulls. Yeah. So that's that's a real shitstorm for Disney to force that on them and to have their own network lose because of it. Shall I tell you about the saving grace here? He said uh, somewhat saving grace is already canceled. I don't know what you're talking about. No, the saving grace for ABC, at least what they hope for, because we all know Ryan Seacrest needs another job because, you know, I mean, he's still he's still getting a couple of days where he's getting a full eight hours. So he has to fill that time up. They're bringing back American Idol, the show that ended, what, two years ago at, over at Fox. Right. To awful ratings and they're getting they're uh, no granted they're getting great talent for the judges and they're getting ryan seacrest back for the host love him or hate him the dude works like crazy he is the the normal man's chris hardwick um (laughs) (laughs) i see chris hardwick as the more normal but i get what you mean yeah he's okay he's the every man's chris hardwick if you mean he's been with every man oh sorry uh No, I, one of the things I like about Seacrest is that he has a very good sense of humor about himself. He doesn't yes. seem ego driven because he knows he's the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. He got a gig and then that just ballooned Didn't out. Uh, once, the other guy. once you scrape the yeah, once you scrape 
scrape the Dunkelman barnacle off of you and you just get to shine like a fucking golden knight. Yeah, that worked great. And he did the radio show he took over for... Dick Van Dyke. No, not Dick Van Dyke. Or, sorry, Dick, Clark. Dick Clark. Dick Clark. In Detroit, we had Dick Purton, so I was really dating myself. But yeah, you got Ryan in for a dick. You have all these things that he did and he has worked extremely hard, but he also gave us a Kardashian. So fuck you, Ryan. Yeah, so they're bringing back American Idol and they are bringing back a controversially maybe slightly insane judge in Katy Perry. And then they're bringing us a 80s iconic judge uh, with Lionel Richie. And then they're bringing us someone that I've never heard of, which is, I guess, it was Simon Cowell. I don't know. So Luke Bryan, he's a country star. Okay. To compare this to The Voice, this is like having, and people are going to yell at me, but this is like having Katy Perry being your Miley Cyrus. Right there, people are going to yell at me because they're album covers and all this other bullshit. Well, because they actually have worked together, though. Katy Perry got her start singing backup for Miley. Yeah. And then Lionel Richie is like Pharrell or Christina Aguilera, where it's, you know, their time when they when they started and first became popular was a little bit bit in the past. Now, granted, Lionel's was a little bit further, but by them. But then Luke Bryan is essentially like Shelton in this in this regards. And and so what we don't get is a Matchbox 20. Thank God. No, it's going to be uh, season two after the ratings dip, then they're going to bring in a fourth judge who's going to be like Adam Lambert. They're worried about getting the show together, and it doesn't start until next March Tuesday. anyways. Well, they start filming Tuesday. Really? Yeah. Here's how quick this stuff is getting thrown together. Uh, Luke Bryan closed the deal on September 24th to serve as a judge alongside Katy Perry, but the third slot remained open, uh, later being filled by Richie. Yeah, it's like they're starting filming really soon. Like, they're holding the auditions, like, within weeks, and I'm like, wait, what? That's... Like, all right, let's get the show going and, oh, well, we'll put the actor in and post sort of deal. Yeah, I, I guess for some reason I thought, yeah, it, Idol is expected to premiere shortly after ABC's March 4th telecast of the Academy Awards, which is the broadest promotional platform the network has to offer. I guess that it makes sense that they would be filming earlier, but when they do all they, the, when they want to get people to vote, that's usually they do that live. Yes, I don't know if you ever watched American Idol, but there was the two parts that they did, much like they do with The Voice, where there's the blind auditions. So there's right, the this auditions. is where we get the she bangs guy. Yes, yeah, this is where you know they're going to be going around the country and they're going to be doing the auditions. And my friend from high school, she actually auditioned for American Idol numerous times and appeared on TV. Now, granted, she didn't get far because she said she was nervous, and I believe it because, you know, she was a great singer and died way too young, a car accident and all that. But she told me about some of the behind the scenes stuff, and I'm like, that's messed up. Like, to even get to the part where you you come on and you sing in front of, you know, then Simon Cowell and Paul Abdul and Randy Jackson, you got to go through, I believe it's two levels of producers. You know, it's like low-level producers and then some higher-up producers, and then come back. It's like blowing the roadie so you can get in the back and meet Poison. Not yeah. saying that i've done that but i've met poison <laughs> I, it just no i <laughs> i have met poison and also but, got gonorrhea yeah that's a fucking winger is what i got and, and so because <laughs> you have to blow winger to get to blow the roadie so that you can get backstage and be hip <laughs> um it really isn't that much of a big deal so no i i get that but then when you watch the the show you see that they still let some of the worst performers come in for those things because that's what it is we're producing it to not give you just the cream of the crop but also to give you the the cream of the knot again so so that's again because she auditioned three times she auditioned when she was 17 18 and 19 because you had to be or maybe it was 16 17 18 because you had to be 
at least 16 to audition. It's like the first one that she told me about was when she was in Chicago and she got denied. But yet you see all these other people. I'm like, she's a better singer than that motherfucker. Like, why, why the hell? Who, whose dick did he suck to get on there? Kip Winger. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's just one of those things like you, like, you realize, okay, yeah, like this is reality. They're looking at this for ratings. It's not just, well, oh, yeah, th- this was person was good, so let's bring him in front of Simon Cowell. They get their assistants on to judge the auditions, and they're like, oh, yeah, I think Simon will like him. Okay. All right, how many people? Okay, we've reached your quota of good. Okay, next. Oh, I'm sorry, honey, try again next year. Next. She bang, she bang. You're brilliant. You're going on. I mean, if you want to see a season where it feels like from the very beginning, the producers led someone down a fucking gold brick road to the win watch the scotty mccreary season because from the very beginning they are following this guy around he's singing the same single line from the same country song over and over and over again it was like they were beating it into us like a giant silver hammer and then you watch they made him feel like the underdog from episode one so yeah. that every victory, it was like this little shot of endorphins in you, like, ooh, the, the little guy's winning, and oh, he's still there, and oh, Scotty's so great. He was really never nearly as talented as some of the other people in that season. And I'm not saying that he isn't talented, but there were people that were so much better. But they built him up from the very beginning to make him, it seems, to be the mm-hmm. winner. And I think that's where American Idol went to shit is because they started to realize how to play the game. And it didn't matter what the voters were really there for. It's like, oh, you get to pick American Idol. No, we're picking your American Idol. And, <laughs> and you call in and you pay your 99 cents a call or whatever. But realistically, we know who we're going to get. We're not going to get fucked again with another soul patch wearing motherfucker doing Ford commercials to make a break. We're not going to get hit with another fucking Ruben Stuttered or whatever his name was from second season. Clay Aiken, runner up. Bullshit. No, we're going to give you somebody that is wholesome, that we can control, that we can make our next Carrie Underwood from. And that's what American Idol started to be. And it was definitely about image. And it was definitely about marketability and that's why the voice started cleaning its clock yeah my hope is honestly with this whole thing is that abc will get their act together bring us quality tv because that's all i want from all the networks is just quality tv i don't care where it comes from um but i want to get into this article will out of control episode costs kill peak tv i'm gonna read the first like three paragraphs verbatim something is wrong when a minute of scripted television costs more than half a million dollars i'm gonna read that again a minute of scripted television costs more than half a million dollars. Not an episode, a minute. Woody Allen's series, Crisis in Six Scenes, reportedly cost $80 million for six roughly 24-minute episodes. If you do the math, it becomes clear that one episode of Crisis would pay for half a dozen installments of Friday Night Lights. That seems so crazy to me. For that that part alone right there, like inflation and like, okay, they're going to say inflation, quote unquote, has taken over so much. But do you think that this is going to become a, a really big problem? Like, where Well, if TV that minute is spent looking at Aisha Tyler, yeah, that's totally worth it. She's a babe. No, I, here's part of what I, I see is that the expectations for TV changed over the last few years. And and it's it's weird because the broadcast networks still don't seem to be there, but it's the off broadcast networks it's it's your hbo's it's your a and e's it's these other things because it used to be that if you were a movie actor you didn't go to tv you were moving up into movies you you tried to get your tv show picked up enough and you get enough buzz about you so that you could go into film that's why topher grace left that 70s show and where the fuck is topher grace probably blowing kip winger (laughs) 
I think <laughs> that at this point in time, <laughs> it's a different story because the hot things that people are talking about is your Game of Thrones. It is your Breaking Bad, your Mad Men and stuff. And TV is a bigger deal. Also with TV, you get a regular program that you get to be a part of for a long period of time. So if it's something like Lost and you buy a home in Hawaii, unless you're the guy who played Boone in the first season and totally got fucked, it's great because you basically you build your life out of doing the show. You make a lot of money, you get a lot of exposure, you get your insurance, you're set. And you're in a show that is more popular than most films that came out in the same year. And the long run of people always paying to keep watching these seasons over and over again on things like Netflix or Amazon, it's very lucrative. It's a different world from where it was in the 90s or the 80s or anything before that. It's now huge. So the investment into TV, in some cases, it's the talent and that the actors and actresses or the writers or directors or producers. And a lot of producers and directors are from films now, too. So they're used to making Hollywood money and now making TV money. They're not going to take a pay cut for. They're just going to get paid out in different ways as an executive producer of a series that eventually gets other writers in to the writing room. So they don't have to work at it anymore, but they're still making cash on it. It's like George Lucas, if he farmed out Star Wars, Besides selling the company, but I mean, if he had farmed out Star Wars and let everybody else make Star Wars movies and he just sat there and kept making money from that and the figures and everything else, that would have been very lucrative for him, too. I understand why, but we're also at a point where Hollywood is super concentrated on blockbusters and we're seeing over the summer, especially that Hollywood isn't doing well. The blockbusters aren't selling. And I feel like TV is going to go through the same thing. We have Amazon saying we want our own Game of Thrones. It's like, well, you better learn the right lessons of what makes a Game of Thrones and not just throw money at a wall and expect that if you make something that looks as nice, it's going to do as well. And that's sort of what I want to hit on because the Variety article hits on that. How does a half hour show like the tick cost five million per episode when many other acclaimed comedies atlanta cost less than a third of that or even by comparison and this stuff baffles me you remember back in the what we're watching weekly days where we talked about the show terra nova yeah and how that got canceled because it was quite pricey to make also because it wasn't good well there was that (laughs) and it was ratings but they looked at that as oh it's not it's not doing good even though it could have gotten an uptick and stuff, but really it's costing us too much money to make. It cost them $4 million an hour for an hour of television. Yeah, and that was a different time when $4 million on TV seemed extravagant. But you know, you go to now where Emmy nominee show nominated shows like Westworld and The Crown on Netflix spend about $10 million per episode, five times of what it costs to make Mad Men when it first came out. Now you yeah. want to talk big Hollywood actor. You got your uh, John Hamm, who's doing both still. You know he's doing TV and he's doing movies. A lot of the a lot of people are now. But I haven't would... seen John Hamm's big breakout film role yet, though. Yeah, I mean, true. like I've seen him in movies, but I haven't seen him be the giant movie star. I yeah. think maybe he's he's very comfortable in TV and he's only interested in doing films where he's not a huge part of it and he gets to just kind of go in and enjoy stuff, which is what I respect the hell out of John Hamm about. But he's not a movie star. No, you know, yeah. Westworld brought in some movie stars to it, but even they were not either in a point where in their career where they were doing a lot of movies or maybe they were getting to the point where they were retiring. Uh, Anthony Hopkins maybe doesn't have it in him to do any more Hannibal stuff. And it's just like, yeah, let's put me on the show for a little bit and I'll just talk creepy and, and make you question everything about yourself. But I look at Westworld and I see from what they did from the expansive space that they're using for the sets 
for everything, the ambiance of the whole thing, I feel like it costs that money versus okay. a Mad Men, the, the costuming and everything is all very good, but I don't see it being, I don't see it playing at that same level. Atlanta. Okay, so, hold on. I don't think, and I haven't seen Mad Men. I also haven't seen The Crown and I, I gave up on Westworld. But so you got period piece, period piece, The Crown and Mad Men. I will tell you right now, I did a I Ain't Got Time to TV of Mad Men, and that's all you ever yeah. need to know about the show. But still, I mean, so you've got... Look it up. A, so, but still, you've got a show that a lot of people, you know, were like, oh, yeah, this is the best best thing on television, best thing on television. And it costs $2 million an episode. Still a period piece, still where they had, you know, the, a lot of budget had to go to that. Cut to the crown. There's something wrong. Like, money is very well being misspent in a lot of cases. And granted, it is the Netflix's and the Amazon's faults. But that's also where I would, I am more likely to root for the underdog shows like Atlanta that can be filmed on such on a smaller budget and then but still garner all these awards well that, and- that's just it atlanta won a good number of emmys this season and i don't know that atlanta is going to cost as little going forward as it did for that first season because that's the show that was made out of love that was a show that was yeah. made without any kind of pretentiousness of it's gonna be a big hit and everything it was we're banking on don glover and we're hoping that, that he produces something that's going to excite his audience. And we'll see if that audience can be our audience. And that's fantastic. But I don't look at that being a Atlanta is a show that needed to make five million an episode to be made because not all shows do. They shouldn't. That's the other thing, too, is that some shows just should be small shoestring budgets because that gives them the magic that gives them the feel of reality that you connect with. I don't know how much it costs to make an episode of Mr. Robot, but that first season, Mr. Robot had so much nuance and story to it. And you felt so synced into what it was doing that if they had just had an unlimited budget, it would have made it less of that. It would have been harder to to fall in love with it like it did. But I think what Amazon and Netflix are doing is different because they're paying the big money to get people away from TV on the promise of we're going to get the best showmakers to work with us. And it's not so much that the episodes are worth six million in the can every episode. It's we're paying this up front to be the next HBO. We're paying this up front to be the next AMC or A&E or whatever, because that's how we we make that happen. And eventually it'll start to even out a little bit. As Netflix cancels shows and Amazon cancels shows, which you talked about a couple of weeks ago, they will bring in new shows, but it won't be as hard for them to bring in new people and say like, well, I don't really know about this Amazon thing. Is anybody even going to watch this? How are we are we going to have any longevity? At that point in time, they're going to say, look, we've won awards. We've had our transparent. We've had our this. So now it's more important to you to be with us than it is for us to get you because we have people knocking on our door. It's not the opposite way anymore. I get it. I think that the money is it seems extraordinary, but TV right now is more extraordinary than it's ever been. As far as the tick being five million an episode, that seems a lot at the same time. They did really good effects on that. It was a better show from a conventional superhero show standpoint than what I expected it to be. It was also just a delight to watch. But yeah, it still seems a little high for what it was. But I feel like that's the premium for being the first ones, like for being the we're still looking for our first couple of hits. Once we've got that, now it's like, what do you bring in me? You know, if you want 15 million for your season, what is that going to give us? Not we're just automatically going to give it to you. No, yeah, definitely. So Amazon is actually bringing in three new shows, one of which I'm really excited for. You know, and of course, it is the whole when it happens thing. Another one, B, I think is really ha- excited about. And then the third one, I've heard of it. 
Amazon is bringing three three new shows. The first one that we're going to talk about is the one that I I know, and it's Lazarus. And it's a comic book from writer Greg Rucka, who wrote for Marvel's uh, Jessica Jones, the Netflix series. He's also done stuff like Gotham Central over at DC. He just finished up his second run. Oh, for Wonder Woman over there. And this is uh, this is basically set in an alternative near future where the world is divided up into 16 rival families and they're all run like in a feudal system. And so you follow around the Carlisle family throughout this and each family has their champion, which they call a Lazarus because it never dies. Um, well, theoretically, it never dies. And they're in the middle right now of in the comic book world side of things, the Lazarus X plus 66 series like little mini series that they're taking a break from the main story from to sort of fill out the world because until i read the article that there's 16 families it never fully clicked that there's 16 families that there's so much because it, it's yeah. not something that it states the central plot to you it lets it build which is what a good story does it doesn't say this is a story about 16 families and these are the tates and these are the campbells no that that was soap but it, yeah it, absolutely it, it's one of those things that it's a slow reveal of how much and how big this entire thing is i will say that amazon we know is looking for its game of thrones this sounds very much like it could appeal to a game of thrones watcher who's looking yeah. to to fill that hole as that series is either on a hiatus or is about to finish up and the brilliant thing that i have with this is greg rocka is going to serve as writer and executive producer on the project along with michael lark his co-creator who also drew did the artwork for captain america the winter soldier comic book or i don't know if he, if he did the series that winter soldier movie is based off of but he did do some stuff for winter soldier he's got great artwork i'll leave it at that and uh angela cheng kaplan all three of them are going to serve as, as executive producers the other one is uh, Snow Crash, which is based on Neil Stevenson's cult novel. It's a one-hour uh, science fiction drama set in the futuristic America. In reality, hero, protagonist. <laughs> I get it. It's because it's spelled for people who don't realize why I'm laughing. H-I-R-O, protagonist. So I'm like, haha, it's the Japanese. Like hero from heroes. Yes. Delivers pizzas for Uncle Enzo's Cosa Nostra Pizza Incorporated. But in the metaverse, he's a warrior prince plunging headlong into the enigma of a new computer virus that's striking down hackers everywhere. He races along the neon lit streets on a search and destroy mission for the shadowy virtual villain. Um, it's a co-production with Paramount Television and it is executive produced by Joe Cornish, who works very much with Edgar Wright. Um, and he uh, was one of the writers on Ant-Man, I believe. Him and Edgar Wright did the first draft, but then Joe Cornish did attack the block and Frank Marshall, who was involved with Back to the Future. Yeah, this sounds like a, a perfect thing, like a, a big thing that's popular in, in books right now is RPG Lit, which, of course, stems from the Ready Player One readers who are looking or hungry for more of that stuff. This seems along the lines like it sounds like it could be a TV series of a Ready Player One style story, which, yeah, that's probably a good thing to bet on right now, especially as that movie is coming out and it's probably going to be very huge. And the book has been very successful. Uh, Ernest Klein has been very successful as a writer because of it. I can easily see that this would be something to jump in with. It sounds fun. It sounds like it's got a little bit of tongue in cheek, kind of like The Tick does, uh, where the, the hero isn't necessarily the hero that you would expect. Yeah, it sounds it sounds cute. It sounds interesting. It definitely sounds like a 
check out the pilot and see how it goes. Yeah. Sorry, I just did a Google search for Ernest Klein to pull up his Wikipedia because I wanted to see if he wrote anything because I know Ready Player One is his first novel he wrote that got adapted to screen work. But and I just happened to see in the pictures, one of the pictures was TJ Miller from a different project. I'm like, wait, why is there a picture of TJ Miller? But sorry, that was a complete aside. Yeah, Snow Crash, I had heard about this from Brian Brushwood on, I think it was the NSFW show where he was talking about it like, oh my gosh, you ever read it? You know, or it was always the, the thing that he plugged whenever they had the ad read for Audible. Yeah. So he's like, oh yeah, just go check out Snow Crash. You know, it's really good. I think he even said at one point, like, this is the, this is his friend's test. Like, like they, you can't be friends with him if you, if you haven't read Snow Crash and, and didn't like it or something like that. I remember there was the other, there was the fantasy series that he and uh, Leo used to talk about that was like that as well. Talking about the King Killer Chronicles? Yeah. Yeah, the Patrick Rothfuss is uh, King Killer Chronicles. Yeah, they mentioned uh, that one a lot as their, their friend test too. Yeah. And then the third movie, which this is the one that had beat excited, is Ring World. This is co-production with MGM and is based on a Larry Niven sci-fi series from the 70s. And it tells the story of Louis Grid Gridley Wu, a bored man celebrating his 200th birthday in a technologically advanced future Earth. Upon being offered one of the open positions on a voyage, Louis joins a young woman and two aliens to explore Ring World, the remote artificial ring beyond quote-unquote known space. Hearing these synopses for the three programs, Programs, along with the next paragraph talks about in an internal email to Amazon employees, uh, studio head Roy Price said that he feels quote unquote bullish about what's in store for 2018, 2019. I feel like, okay, Amazon is at least doing the let's test the pasta and throw it at the wall thing, which means we're going to get at least a lot of great pilots for shows. So, yeah, I mean, but Ringworld is a series that has some huge pedigree uh, in the sci-fi world, and it's, it's hard sci-fi as I understand it larry niven also co-writer with recently lost jerry pornell uh, so big big pedigree on this and again it feels like this is something that's being made for a specific audience and to serve that specific audience uh, as we we discussed before the show there is now the new star trek series discovery that is out and uh there's the orville and they are two sides of a of a similar coin the orville feels more like classic Star Trek, at least from Next Generation up, and the Star Trek Discovery is a much darker tone, feels more hard sci-fi to a degree, but it also is kind of a modern dark take that doesn't agree with every Star Trek fan. But Ringworld is something that if they adapt it to what it truly is, is that it's going to start it's going to meet the expectations of those old school Star Trek fans and probably set up things for new fans at the same time. It's like it's going to have the potential to f pull a lot of people in. And again, if you're looking at something to be the next Game of Thrones, while it's a very different genre, it's that kind of story that can pull people because there's so much to yank from those books. No, yeah. And I mean, that's honestly where I'm seeing with all these, with everything that they're doing, like the article mentions that they're doing Jack Reacher still and Jack Ryan. Uh, or Jack Ryan, yes, sorry, Jack Ryan, and that they've got several deals with people like Robert Kirkman, Sharon Horgan, Amy Sherman Palladino, and, da and Dan Palladino. So yeah, as we were talking about some of the problems that ABC has going on, part of the problem is when you see people like Shonda Rhimes going over to Netflix, and then you see uh, people like Robert Kirkman going over to Amazon, when you're stealing the content creators that they've come to rely on on these stations away to these new services, 
it's going to make those other stations really have to work harder to get more talent in. They can't just rely on what's already been there. Greg Berlanti yeah. can't direct every fucking superhero show, no matter how hard he tries. <laughs> well, okay. Are we at the point where we can just like sum it up to comic book show? I mean, now that he's doing Riverdale it. and now that he's doing Riverdale and Sabrina. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't, I don't hate the guy for it, but he's he's also doing Titans, and he's got Black Lightning coming out, and so it's like there is a Berlanti verse. It's funny to see DC's uh, film content be split up into three things. There is the animated universe, which is, used to be the Dini verse, but has kind of skeeved away from that, and is kind of like trying to go back to it with Bruce Tim being a part of it. Although Bruce Tim just seems to think that every female character wants to get banged by a Batman. You you have <laughs> The DC film universe, which still doesn't seem to know what it wants to be. Are we together? Are we apart? You know, who knows? We're like Ross Perot. We'll just keep changing our fucking minds. And then you have the Berlantiverse and people call it the Berlantiverse. And it doesn't matter if the shows are connected or not, because it's like fucking Greg Berlanti. Here it is. Every fucking show that we have is like, we want a Titan show. Sure you do. I'm Greg Berlanti. Let's make that happen. I want an ambush bug show. Of course you do. Fucking give it here, man. I got arms like wide as fucking Egyptian gods and shit. Just make that shit my plate. You know, just give me, I'll keep eating it and shitting it out. I I, I don't hate him at all. He's, he's right. He was obviously a good choice because it's led to a lot of success for the CW and for the Arrowverse overall, but I don't think we're going to call it the Arrowverse anymore. It, it started out because that was the first show, but it's really, it's all Greg Berlanti's leadership that's made this stuff happen. And I think it's fine in its own way, but again, that's really dangerous when you've got an Amazon and a Netflix and now a Disney streaming service that's coming up and CBS has their streaming service and all these other things, they're going to want to start stealing the talent away. Who do you think they're going to aim for? Do you think they're going to aim for the person who does Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? They should because she's awesome. But no, they're going to set their sights on Greg Berlanti. They're going to set their sights on the guy who's developed 10 different shows that are all superheroes. And they go, you know, what? we have a lot of Marvel properties over here. And we kind of realized that Scott Buck just rhymes with with buck to all of our shows he's bucking it up for everybody truck yeah exactly i was gonna say tuck because i feel duck? like he they tuck the show right up in his ass but <laughs> it just if they if marvel had that coup like when the comics would happen and you'd see marvel stealing writers away from dc and then dc stealing artists away from marvel and it's always a big deal like oh we just signed this guy to an exclusive contract it's like oh shit what the fuck's gonna happen to my avengers book or what's gonna happen to x-men now if Marvel got that coup of they steal Greg Berlanti away and have him develop superhero shows for their own streaming service, that well, is not, not the stuff that Netflix already has, but a whole new line of stuff of their characters they haven't gotten to yet. And what he could do, that would so fuck up CW. Because yeah, look how much they've invested not only in that. that. Not only that, you get his whole group of pr producers. Yeah, you get the horde. It. So you get Ellie Adler and Mark Guggenheim and... You know, you get Speedweed to do the music, and you get all these people. I only remember Speedweed because he's the, he, he does the Flash music, and it's because yeah. his name is Speedweed. I'm like, that is a baller fucking name, dude. Yeah, and it's 
if only I had some confidence that Disney was the kind of company that could acquire people from other things. Like if, if Disney only had an interest in getting other people's properties and, and bringing them under their umbrella, it's too bad that they just can't get their shit together and, and acquire yeah. something like a Marvel or an ABC or a Pixar. Or well, I, I mean, you can't say, you can't say that their producers don't know about Marvel because Mark Guggenheim writes for Marvel comics. Right. No, absolutely, you know, but that's that's sort of a different entity. No, How yeah. many times do you see the DC film writer or DC TV writer writing for the opposite in the comics? Because they're the ones who snatched them up, but they don't they don't really care. It's it's a little indiscriminate. It's like no one gives a shit what comics you write when you're making TV I, shows or movies. But I, I mean, mean, nobody in the industry does. It's like that's that's small fucking potatoes to the people who run those companies and own those companies. It's small potatoes. Disney probably has very little recognition that they own a comic book company other than the fact that it's an ip farm for them that's yeah. absolutely the case but yeah if they if they pulled a berlanti in or if they said you know what maybe you're tired of superheroes what would you think about doing a few star wars series for us what could you do with star wars uh anything you want me to do have i ever shown you what i did to kip winger boom <laughs> there you go it's just oh, that is the biggest fucking draw for almost any modern day creator someone who grew up with star wars and it's like that's that's the dream and when it went from there's one movie made every 50 years to there's one movie made a year to hey uh we might be doing star wars live action tv series or or movies direct to to our streaming services like that it opens up like everybody gets a shot at it now and and Growly is pointing out that, you know, he doubts that Berlanti and co, uh, they will have to cede control to the mouse. And I'm like, um, I'm sitting here thinking, no, because if the mouse, you know, if the House of Mouse sees what they're doing with the, with everything under their control, then why would they have to cede control? Well, the you other know? thing is that Greg Berlanti, how do I say this? Greg Berlanti did shows before he was doing Arrow and Flash and everything, Greg Berlanti did shows that weren't other people's properties. Those shows didn't work. Those shows didn't collect people. Uh, so when he got this role of, of doing stuff with the DC characters and it took off for him, now he's a powerhouse. He's not yeah. the guy who did Eli Stone anymore. He's the guy who did Flash and Heroes of Tomorrow and and made these things viable properties. So he's already working. He's already a kept man. Dude, Let, I let's love put it that way. Eli Stone. Eli Stone. Yeah, it, I'm not saying it was a bad show. I'm just saying nobody fucking watched it. But he's already company owned. Yeah. You know, he's no longer the guy who does Jack and Bobby. He probably isn't as interested in going back and doing another Jack and Bobby because now he gets paychecks. <laughs> and he's not struggling. He he pitches something and it's like it doesn't even have to be his idea. He's just like, yeah, I'll make that. Uh, where are you going to send my truck of money? Over here? Just over here? That's great. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for the news. And I'm going to do, we're going to talk about a little bit about how you can help us out here at the show. You can go, basically go to gncasts.com slash support and you will find the Patreon. Patreon in there is how you can support, you know, basically help us keep the lights on here. Help us keep us doing what we're doing and, you know, making content for you. You go there, you can donate as little as a dollar a month and enjoy it. You know, enjoy the shows. Um, there are some exclusive shows coming out. Uh, Peter Fisher's doing the applicably 
app review show um which i will be a guest on here in like a week or two. Oh god i gotta get back with him on that because i forgot which week I'm <laughs> you know we're doing a bunch of things up over here the easiest way to do it is go to gncast.com support and we thank you it is time for the else views this is the part of the show where i talk about the things that i have been watching or reading or listening or enjoying well, I'll and give you gonna, an, an else view uh, once you're done with yours. Okay. I'll take a moment. So real quick, before I get into my review, I want to talk about the the week, just really quickly on the week in new shows. So Young Sheldon was enjoyable for what it was. It seemed like it was CBS trying to hit the, or trying to do a Goldbergs thing, but just with one of their properties. Really loved Me, Myself, and I. I love the storytelling of that. Saw the mayor early on Hulu. Really enjoyed that. Uh, the Good Doctor was good. Still haven't seen Ghosted, so I'll talk about that next week. And then Saturday Night Live was, I like the thing. I think Ryan Gosling broke way too many times, though. Like I, I couldn't blame him for any time Kate McKinnon was just going off had, her and her, her, her had her face up his ass. Just in general, she <laughs> was on fire, and she is so much better than what that show deserves right now. I, I yeah. know it just won Emmys and everything, but it won Emmys because of being the the right notes to hit at a time with p- politics and still by fucking softballing it with not their own featured cast but by getting in the fucking key players they did with baldwin and mccarthy but kate mckinnon is a fucking genius she mm-hmm. is amazing and she could single-handedly carry that show which i'm not saying she is there's still a lot of people that i find very talented on the program but then they still retain Kyle Mooney and I'm still here. <laughs> Hashtag remove Mooney. And you saw that episode fall the fuck apart after the news. You yeah. saw every sketch just go so far downhill to the point where it just seemed like they had given the fuck up, especially that last one with Keenan and the, the whole band thing. It, they, it had no direction. It's like me doing this rant right now. No direction at all. Couldn't pick a <laughs> fucking spot to land on. Just boom. It yeah. Sh- it went to shit, but I thought Ryan was enjoyable. Yeah, as a, as a host. No, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I, I I can't think of anything else that was that was a new series. The one I will talk about is Marvels and Humans. That's the the big one that came out this week, and I enjoyed it. I am the apparently I am that nobody who enjoyed Marvels and Humans, and I probably would have seen it in IMAX had there been one that was closer when it was doing its uh, run in IMAX and. I felt like they hit the characters pretty good. Like Karnak by far is my favorite just because of how, and Karnak is the one that I'm going to be hinging a lot of things on. Like if they say that his ability to see, to see the, or not really say necessarily see the future, but to essentially pinpoint the weaknesses of people is an inhuman power. Then I'll be like, and you lost me because I, I am that bit of a stickler when it comes to Karnak, but it was cool to see, like they had cool moments throughout the show. So it was cool to see after Maximus. Uh, well, give us the premise like, of the show. Okay, so the premise. Not familiar with Inhumans, which should be a lot of people. Yeah, uh, I will tell you, sum it up very quickly. There, what happens when Marvel can't control what happens with the X Men? Yes, but they were created by like much like every like almost ninety percent of Marvel universe by Stanley and Jack Kirby back in the seventies, I believe. Uh, but I think with the Inhumans. Yeah, with the Inhumans, you're following the royal family of Black Bolt, Medusa, Gorgon, Triton, Karnak, Crystal, and their dog, Lockjaw. And they're, if you don't know what the Inhumans are, they are people who get 
abilities with the exposure of Terragenesis, Terragen crystals. And it was cool. They definitely set it up like, you know, they are a royal family with like they called one area the cast. They have a cast system and they were in the cast housing and stuff like that. Um, oh, and Maximus is in there. I think I forgot to mention Maximus as one of the members of the royal family. There are videos out there that explain the powers. The big ones to know is Black Bolt doesn't speak because even the, the tiniest whisper can level a town. And so it, that was one of the things I'm like, okay, you cast... When this is going to be a movie, there was like Vin Diesel talked about like how he wanted to be Black Bolt. Like he wanted to be cast in there. I'm like, well, yeah, that's a good cast for you. Now, basically the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're allowed to say five words. Th- and, you know, three of them are I am Groot. <laughs> Which they should be the only three, but it's a caveat made for the end of a very wonderful movie. Yes. And I'm like, well, who they got? And they got the dude, um, I'm blanking on his name. is like Ansel something, but he's from Hell on Wheels. And I'm like, all right, this is a, he's a good, you know, good actor. And I liked him when I watched the pilot for Hell on Wheels. And I'm like, well, how are they going to get, are, are they going to do some bullshit thing of he can talk, but if he's wearing this, only if he's wearing this band, like headband or something. No, they full on, like he's uses sign language to talk. And I'm like, that's cool. You could tell that there's still the, in the comics, there's a psychic, like a sort of psychic link between Medusa and Black Bolt as husband and wife. And you could sort of tell that within the, with the beginning. And they have these wrist communicator things that are sort of like futuristic phones that look so fucking cool. And I want that technology now. I mean, I felt like they hit pretty close to the characters. It's a little early for me to judge where I wasn't like madly in love. Like, okay, I can't wait for the next episode. I don't hate the show. I'm wanting to see where this goes. I would rather, because I believe they got what, eight episodes, I believe before it gets either picked up again or canceled. I would much rather wait for the all eight and then judge from there. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. All right, so here's here's where I'm going to bust in with. This is my else view for this week, and that is I didn't watch Inhumans, and I didn't watch Young Sheldon, and I didn't watch the 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 new house thing. Which, if you really want a new house, go watch that show Chance on Amazon. It looks like it's trying very hard to be a house and has Hugh Laurie actually in it. I didn't watch The Mayor, although it looks okay. I could not give a crap about any goddamn new show that's coming out. And that's, seriously, it hurts my feelings to say that. Yeah. It bothers me. And this is a this is a moment where I had to look at the fact the last couple of years, I stopped reading comics. One, it's a very expensive hobby. And mm-hmm. if, if you financially can't support it, you should financially support it uh, if, if it's something that you want to read. But I also just got so frustrated with the state of the two main comic universes that I grew up with and love characters from that I just couldn't be interested anymore. And now I'm seeing a new TV season where I am a TV guy. I I look forward to TV so much that I used to, if you go back in my live journal, you met her on the live journal. If you go back to my old live journal, there is posts of like when the new season would start where I would say, what shows I was watching on what night and how I was going to make it all work. And like, Lord forbid, there were three shows on at the same time because I can only record and watch two. But I, I seriously, like every year, I get super excited when the stuff would start up. And I looked at all of the stuff that was coming out this year and I just couldn't be damned. And I feel like that is easily a reflection of me. It could very well be just me. But when we're talking about the apathy of people towards movies and how much they didn't go see movies over the summer. And I think there is certainly an apathy to a lot of new shows for the last couple of seasons. It's getting harder and harder for me to think that it's only me. 
Yeah. And maybe we are at either a creative lull or at least on broadcast television. And that's that's something we're we're kind of already hinting at earlier is that the good stuff is going to these upstart networks, either streaming networks or cable networks. But it's just it's so difficult to get excited about stuff. And and the things that are coming back, like we've got NBC hinging on a new Will and Grace. And I watched the new Will and Grace because I'd watched the old Will and Grace and I felt like it was a familiarity and I gave it a shot. And because my wife had been getting into reruns of Will and Grace, New Will and Grace was a half hour bitch fest about Donald Trump, which I'm on the side of. Yeah. But it didn't make for a very great show. And I, I walked out halfway through that. Yeah. I hope that it is just the one episode and mm-hmm. that's not what the whole show is about now. And I think a lot of people got pretty ticked off about it, although it's not like they're not playing to their base. The people who are Will and Grace fans don't like Donald Trump either. But it just it felt so out of the ordinary for these characters to be inserted in such a way into that where they both wind up at the White House and have this whole to do about it. Returning shows. It's like some shows that I really love have been past their prime for a while, like Modern Family, which wins Emmys because it continues to win Emmys. Uh, Family Guy obviously has been not nearly as good as it used to be for some years. And some shows that I I like and and still want to give a chance, I just haven't been able to push myself towards like American Gods or the second and third season coming up of Mr. Robot. It's like I'm so backlogged on shows that I really want to see. And I just I wonder, is it because we're at maximum TV? Is it because there's so many choices? Like when I used to try to scan through Netflix streaming and I'd look for two hours to find something to watch because I was more interested in the search than I was the actual watching of the, the show or the movie. Now it's like there's just there's so many choices of like, well, this thing's on this service and this thing's on this service. And I just kind of don't want to watch any of it anymore. Obviously, I've got other stuff in my life, but I'm busy like my project last week, uh, the book that I'm trying to, to read for our upcoming guest. There's all of that. But it really I felt such apathy towards the shows starting this season. Maybe one will surprise me because I've, I've wound up catching up a couple of episodes as they were doing reruns of Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of digging the show far more than I ever thought I would. It's not fantastic, but it's fun enough and it's just got the right rhythm. And the the chemistry between the two leads is is actually pretty good. That maybe it'll it'll get me on the on the backside. Uh, the Mick is another one like I didn't watch the Mick when it started. But as I caught it here and there, they did a, a marathon uh, a week or two ago. I'm like, the mix is actually pretty goddamn funny. And I don't know why I'm surprised that it is, because Caitlin Olsen is absolutely genius on yeah. Always Sunny. But I probably just wasn't interested in, in seeing her on a show that wasn't Always Sunny because I just want Always Sunny back. And I kind of feel like, no, this is a good move. This is a pretty solid show. So maybe these things will, will catch up to me later. But I just I couldn't find anything that was like, I have to watch this. Yeah. And I, I just wonder why. No, yeah, it's it's weird. And I, you know, I get it. And um, the other thing I'll say is a uh, quick mention uh, on the streaming side. I also got into uh, Magic School Bus Rides again, which stars Kate McKinnon. She voices the new Miss Frizzle on there. And I've joked around that I had the theme song stuck in my head. I'm like, no, I've I have the theme song in my head right now because they redid the original and i'm like wait so that was the lyric man i've been singing that the wrong the wrong way for 20 years <laughs> and, and by the way jimmy hendrix did not ask you to excuse him while he kissed a guy <laughs> i thought it was kiss the sky 
yes, that's exactly what it is. But it, it's exactly. one of those lyrics that people have misheard for so long. Yeah. Well, the one that I, to get off of on a sidetrack here, that I heard right until my friend said, no, it was this, was, was it Eiffel, Eiffel 65? Uh, or no, that song, I'm Blue. I'm Blue. Yeah. The, where it's like, I'm blue, da ba dee, da da da. I thought it was that. And he's like, no, it's I'm in need of a guy. So then I could, I could only hear I'm in need of a guy. <laughs> I think he's wrong. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We were also in like the sixth grade at the time. So I, I'm not here to tell you your needs, Gregor. I'm just saying <laughs> uh, maybe until you're sure of what direction you want to go in, you don't go to any winger concerts. <laughs> Wasn't planning on it anyways. Uh, but yeah, there. so I think that's going to do it for the LSVUs. And we will be right back. The galaxy far, far away feels closer now than ever before, and your guides through this galaxy are ready to help. I'm Zach Hagenbusher, one half of the new Jedi Archives podcast with Ben Schultz. Join us every other Tuesday for our experiences with the Star Wars saga from the core films that we know and love, well, you know, some of them, to the annals of history and the works that shape Star Wars into what we know it as today. Just jump in wherever you'd like. Download an episode of the new Jedi Archives today. And we are back, and it is time for the else words. This is our main discussion topic, and the topic this week is how Hollywood created its own worst enemy in Rotten Tomatoes. And we should point out, full disclosure, Tom Merritt's wife works for Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I had that so planned out. She actually works for Fandango, which which purchased Rotten Tomatoes last year. But yeah, full disclosure, I'm not going to talk shit about Eileen Rivera, because she's one of my favorite people. Exactly. So Rotten Tomatoes, for those of you guys who do not know, is the site that it is an aggregator of all the movie reviews. They do critic reviews on one section, and then they'll, they'll have the audience reviews, and they, they do like the whole good and bad reviews, and then they get the certified fresh seal of approval adorned on DVDs, trailers, and other marketing material for major movies sort of bites you in the ass when you're a movie that's certified fresh on RottenTomatoes.com that stars Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, Kristen Wiig, and Melissa McCarthy, and it doesn't do that well. And a lot of people say that this ruined the uh, the franchise and things like that. This is actually an a weird part for me. I don't use Rotten Tomatoes at all. Like, I use Fandango. But I do not use Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, um, I don't actively use either. But I've noticed that I think Rotten Tomatoes started coming up in when you go to the info on Comcast to see movies. They'll have the Rotten Tomatoes scores there. And so I've noticed it, but I've never really gone to the site to look up reviews. That said... All it really does is it shows that there is not often a correlation between professional reviewers and what audiences want. If that's the worst thing it's done, so what? I already knew that. By watching Roger and Ebert for years, I realized that they didn't agree and they're supposed to be the fucking experts. So maybe yeah. being an expert in reviewing movies doesn't fucking matter, said the guy on his review podcast. <laughs> No, yeah. I look at this and honestly, I go because and the article hits it like I, we're going to do a, a horrible job of talking about this, we're, but we will have the link in the show notes. And the big part is uh, one of the things in here is subsection. Your opinion sucks. They take it boiled down to a score. What's the problem with the score? If people look at it, you know, like, for example, uh, I, I don't know if this is the case, but let's just say Ready Player One 
which is a movie I love. I'm excited to go see. Or no, 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 not even Ready Player One. Last Jedi, because Last Jedi, I think we have numbers on it right now. Let's say it's you know at like a seventy percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and this is from. How do we have numbers on it when it's not even out? I mean, it's closer to being out, but I mean, let's just say it's you know it's getting closer to where you know reviewers have seen it, and it's seventy percent. Because that's a, that's a problem I have. I mean, if it's reviewers, if it's legitimate reviewers, that's yeah. one thing. But it becomes like the the fucking what was it GameStop where people were reviewing games two years before they ever came out and saying whether it was great or shit. And it's like you don't have any fucking clue what you're talking about. You yeah. know, you're you're rating something that you hope is terrific or that you think sucks. Uh, by the way, thanks for the N word bomb at me. But it it doesn't mean. <laughs> shit and so the audience stuff i don't often agree with the audience any more than i agree with reviewers yeah but the audience can be such a fucking line of crap because everybody knows if you go to amazon to buy something and you're not sure if you want it or not if it's the right thing you look at the reviews and you ignore all the five-star reviews and you ignore all the one-star reviews and you look anywhere from the two to four because that's at least where people be fucking honest yeah. You know, it, it, the one stars is like, I got it. It didn't do what I wanted it to do. Well, maybe you shouldn't be trying to masturbate with a blender. You know, I don't <laughs> think the Vegematic was meant for that kind of carcass bullshit. Um, but in the five star reviews are, I got this. I loved it. It's exactly what I wanted it to be. Maybe you shouldn't masturbate with a blender. It's going to fuck your shit up. But aggregation <laughs> is is only as good as what's thrown into it. Yeah, that's the problem. But, but even the reviewers put their fucking names on what they do. And here's the problem with it. They take all those reviewers. So they take, you know, the film critics from, you know, all across the country and they just combine it to a score. So people so the the dumb dums like you and me will just sit there and look at it and go, well, I only got a 70 percent. And that's from the people who are paid to review movies. I'm not going to go see that. That's not bad. Um, but no, yeah, I, I know but what you're still, saying. It's like I'm of the mindset of if it's 50 or higher, I'm more likely to do whatever it's saying. But with movies, I don't know. This is a weird one to pick because it, for one part, it's like, you know, me and you, we both don't use Rotten Tomatoes at the same time. And actually, I sort of want to go to Rotten Tomatoes right now and see what it says for The Last Jedi. Here's part of where I can see that there is a problem is because you look up a movie and it gives you a number and there's nothing that's nuanced to that. If you go and you open up Rolling Stone and you look at a review for a movie, even if it's just a blurb, even if it's just like a cinema score of C minus and it's a two paragraphs about the film. And it's like, why do people keep paying money to see Kevin Hart scream it? the screen that i can at least appreciate that there's something to it but to say kingsman the golden circle right now has a tomato meter of 50 percent and the audience yeah. score is 72 percent but that 50 percent doesn't tell me why it's a 50 percent, and it doesn't tell me how many people rated it higher than that versus how many people rated it lower than that and the people who are on the higher side all come from urban areas and things that might be more to my mindset and the people on the lower side are the people who go to church and think the devil's on the film and i'm I'm not really trying to make fun of church people but maybe it's not the right kind of movie for them you know and maybe they're reviewing it in a in a small town where this is exactly the kind of movie that they don't like and they would rather go see one of those movies where god is in debt and that's perfectly fine but i I don't get that context i get 50 percent, and that's it and so in that regard if i'm basing my judgment off of just an arbitrary score like that well then even then i have to look at a 50 percent next to a 72 percent, and i have to assume that it's somewhere in like a 61 
Yeah. And is 61 good enough for me? Or do I still look at it and say, well, at least I can play the trailer and see if this looks interesting or not. So the onus is always on me. The onus is on me to pick who I listen to and, and not pick who I don't want to listen to. And if I'm a kind of person who just looks at a number and says, okay, well, that says no, so I'm going to say no, then fuck me. I don't deserve to go see goddamn movies. It's like, well, everything says it's shit. I guess I'm just going to sit home and masturbate. Well, that is a fun way to spend an evening, but it isn't going to get you anywhere in like wanting to see the next great film. Yeah. I'm also a basic reviewer in the sense of I don't review things like a filmmaker or a film genre specialist. When I listen to Jack and Dan on the the We Podcast stuff and, and more on 90s Percentile, Peace 90s Percentile, you guys have been the best. I listen to them and I know that there are people who have a very clear thought of how films are made and and the kind of movies that like are the are some of the classic movies you know they talk about these things with a lot of depth and i'm not like that i'm a guy who likes to put on a movie that's gonna fucking entertain me and that's why i watch the same dumb shit over and over again like swat or the replacements when i know that they're not great movies but i can't fucking not like watching them and that's okay but i'm never going to want to watch mafia films so i know no matter what the score is if this is a movie about the mob then I'm not going to want to see it. it. It doesn't matter if it's a 97% and and it's got a golden chubby or whatever the fucking ranking is. It's like, it's not doing anything for my chubby. Okay, I like the money pit. I, yeah. I, I like stuff that's, that's fun. So yeah, it doesn't matter if the score is high or low. I'm more likely to go see a Marvel movie because that does something for me. Mm-hmm. And I know what I'm into. A number isn't what I'm into. It's not going to tell me. It is nothing personal about it. So to take it to heart or to say that it's destroying the movie industry is complete and utter crap because we've always reviewed movies ever since the beginning of movies being made somebody walked out of there and said that thing's a piece of crap i don't know why that guy couldn't catch his hat he just chased it all over the fucking screen all day this chaplain is fucking garbage i liked him more when he was a nazi (laughs) see i don't think it's the reviews that are killing the industry i think it's the aggregation so the boiling it down to a number to switch it to video games when i first started getting into into podcasting and i'm a gamer for you know what 23 ish years now i'll say i started gaming at five you know that sounds healthy right and one of my favorite shows what kind of games did you play with tickle me elmo Mm, you know tickle me elmo was actually after my after my time so I just imagined like the formative years of being a, a young boy right on the right on the verge of pubescence and that Tickle Me Elmo becomes like when you found the water jet at the public pool and you didn't leave the <laughs> fucking side of the pool all day. And you're like, no, it's it's perfectly okay. Nobody knows what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but no, so like I was like I said, one of the shows that I loved, it was actually on Revision 3 when Revision 3 was a thing called Co-op from the Area 5 guys. And the thing I loved about it was it was them talking about games. They never gave a like gave a score on the game. They just said what they thought about it and how they felt and the you know the sound score and all that stuff. Stuff that I look for when I when I listen to the other people I listen to that are talking about that are talking about a movie. Now, sure, there will be biases in there, like Scott Johnson falling absolutely in love with Mad Max Fury Road and thinking it should win an Emmy this year and an Oscar every year until they do the sequel. And then the sequel should win every Oscar until like until the next one. But I look at those people and I go, okay. I sort of know their style from watching and, you know, from talking with them, from watching their stuff. Does that mesh with mine? For the, and for a lot of times, yeah. So do I think I will, will like this? Yes. 
you know, or, you know, reading the reviews. See, I don't, I, I first off had never heard of the take out the five star, take out the one star reviews when it comes to reading Amazon. It's just, I would go through and start reading. And it's like, if I start seeing, okay, eh, fake bullshit, you know, yeah, they just put their dick in a blender and they didn't want to or whatever. Next, you know, until I'm like, well, all right, really, this is it. Who doesn't want to? <laughs> Come on. People whose dicks are short enough. I don't know. That, that's, that's part of the excitement. Gives you something to reach for. And then we're all even. Mm, good. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, I think that's the big flaw here is the whole aggregation, even with like Metacritic does the same thing, you know, where it, it'll aggregate for like like a whole bunch of other things. And it's like, but does it help? I mean, well, yeah, you're what, getting what Rotten Tomatoes does do. And this is what I think is important. And it's it's a matter of putting the score at the top versus putting the score at the bottom, because you put the score yeah. at the top and then everybody looks at it and is like, oh, that's a score. And there is a segment of they're just going to stop there. Nobody wants to read because if you keep scrolling down a web page, eventually you're going to get to comments and comments fucks it up for everybody, people. <laughs> but what I was worried about, because like I said, I don't use Rotten Tomatoes. What I was worried about is that you were just going to see this arbitrary number and that was it. But underneath, they do have the critic reviews. They have at least pieces from them where they quote them and say, they show the critics, they show their faces, they show their names, they show their credentials, where they're posting from if they're from buzzfeed uh if they're from a reputable thing like slate uh, if they're from contact music which i've never heard of it shows them and it lets you see what they said and underneath that it has the audience reviews people who come up here and say not enough dicks uh one and a half stars or too many dicks 19 stars so that's good that's the important thing is that they do give you the total at the top but that total at the top should not be your stopping point it shouldn't even really be the starting point and if anything maybe that's the problem is that they they give it an arbitrary number it's like when i do reviews on podcast of terror and we rate from a zero to five ranking those things are arbitrary because it could be the the mood i'm in that week Mm -hmm. uh it could be the mood i'm in in my life right now because as beatmaster said i have no soul (laughs) it could be any number of things and it could just be that that's that's a kind of movie that I dig, even if it's not very good, I get something out of it. The numbers don't matter. It's like the points on At Midnight or the scores on, well, what is that fucking show with Aisha Tyler? Whose line? Whose line is it anyway? Yeah, it, it really is fucking arbitrary. You got to find somebody you connect with and you understand who's like maybe somebody that you trust. I love Nate from Ink Geek. I think yep. he's a terrific guy. Nate and I could not be more different in the kinds of movies that we like and the TV shows like Nate is still gung ho for Gotham. And I could not shit out something that I cared less about than Gotham. But you got, but he's, he's going to be Batman now. He's never going to be Batman. It's like watching Clark on Smallville all over again. Uh, we'll have five seasons of him as a red, blue blur, but that's fine. Nate knows that he, he enjoys stuff that is either more commercially interesting or whatever. You know, he's an iPhone guy and I'm an Android guy. It doesn't disrupt the fact that I respect Nate for his opinions. I just know that when Nate's opinion is he likes something, I'm probably not going to like that (laughs) thing, but I still like Nate. So he's just not my go-to guy for picking out a movie, you know, but yeah. Fuck, if I had the opportunity to go see a movie and it was his favorite fucking film and I know I'm going to hate it, I'm still going to have a good time because Nate's my boy and I would enjoy seeing it with him. Or I would enjoy giving him shit about it afterwards. Like, how could you fucking like this crap? Exactly. It's the same thing with me. It's like, you might be the person who loves Zack Snyder movies and you go, 
I can't fucking listen to Corey talk about Zack Snyder one more fucking time or I'm going to blow my fucking head off. And then I'll look like a superhero in a Zack Snyder movie. But I get it. It's like my opinions are what they are. And so if they don't meet up with your opinions, hopefully I'm at least entertaining. But you shouldn't listen to me for reviews at that point. Or you shouldn't agree with my reviews and say, yeah, Corey really likes a sit movie. So I assume I'm going to go there and it's just going to be like putting my dick in a blender. Five stars. <laughs> You heard it here first. That's his review of it. And my review of Tickle Me Elbow, apparently. Oh, that's going to be the hot item again this year. Actually, it's not. Fuck See, the thing is, is like, I would go Teddy Ruxpin, but that fucker talks back. Teddy, okay. Here, okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. We have a Teddy Ruxpin on there. I am half tempted to buy it just to see if it plays cassette tapes because it looks like the whole fat fucker that the Teddy Ruxpin used to be. But I'm like, so this is, probably has an iPhone dock or, you know, like a little... You plug a cord, you pull the cord out of its ass and, you know, plugs into your, to your phone or whatever. Oh no, it, it hooks up to your Wi-Fi so that it can spy on your kids. Yeah. But the eyes do move. Like the eyes are screens that just go like for the yeah. eyes and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's not creepy at all. It was always my goal. If I had had unlimited funds as a teenager, I wanted to get Teddy Ruxpin and all his friends and put them in kiss makeup. And then just put a fucking Destroyer album in all of them and have them. But I know that it didn't work out. Like, it wouldn't, like, Teddy knows that he's supposed to be singing the Gene part. And then his fucking worm friend over here knows that he's supposed to be singing Paul. And there is no fucking Peter Chris because who the fuck wants to be Peter Chris? But <laughs> actually, Peter Chris is my favorite. But yeah, I, I always thought that that was classic. Is it, man, I blew Kip Winger so many times and he never took me to see Peter Chris in concert. So I love the idea of it, the modern day thing. But I gotten some friends something because I couldn't find a Teddy Ruxpin for their kids when they started having kids like fucking Porsche loves. And so I found something called a Yano, which is like a tree druid version of Teddy Ruxpin. And that thing made a face that gave my friend, not her kids, gave my friend nightmares to the thing where I think they burned it outside in a trash can at somebody else's house because they were afraid to have it anywhere near their own. They were going <laughs> to poltergeist that shit. Oh, I had that similar thing with it was like a talking Yoda doll. Like it fucker was hard as hell. Because it was just, you know, plastic with some like foam on top of it. But for having it for so long that the foam started falling off and peeling off and stuff. So it's like as he would move, it's like, oh, it's so creepy. Just got to throw it away. Burn it with fire, I will. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, we should probably end, wrap things up. And if you want to call us, you can leave us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. Or you can email us mail at eltsnerds.com. For all of our subscription links, you can go over to gncast.com slash subscribe and search everywhere on the social networks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube for Galactic Netcasts. And you will find the podcast network that we that we belong on to. And you can do that for most of the other things, mainly Facebook and Twitter. For Elsnerds, you can find the producers. Evan is at Mr. Underscore Fusion. Beatmaster is at Beatmaster80. Sean Burns is at S. Burns PA. I'm at that Gregor. And Corey, where can people find you and the things that you do with Levi Krauss? Well, like I said, you can find me on the live journal. But <laughs> if you if you want to not support uh, Russian oligarchs, you can go to donutscomics.com where I try to post regularly. I sometimes mess things up. I missed the Levi's World last week, but very exciting news. Right now, we have just started Inktober, and so one of the links from donutscomics.com will take you to Levi's own blog where he is posting his daily sketches for Inktober. It's always fun to get this stuff because it's just Levi. It is Levi-iest. 
Uh, he just does crazy shit, just like that one and done little sketch drawing of whatever. And it's the most pure Levi experience I think there is. And it's a window into his soul. And I love it probably more than anything. So that would be a great thing for you to go join up in and watch happen. And the final thing to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you next week. Or a Kip Hanger album will come out. <laughs> I was expecting Orville blow Kip Winger. Yeah. Well, we're always expecting to blow Kip Winger. Galactic Network podcast, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.